Good morning. Our reading this morning is from the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies— we will certainly be saved through his life, through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Much better. You sound great. You sound great. Uh, usually I like to just open like a little cold open, get us started. But we got miles to go today, and uh, I would like to just jump in. So look at somebody and say, are you ready? No, look at somebody and say, are you ready? Y'all aren't ready. Yeah, clearly. So look at somebody else and say, I'm not ready, but here we go. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we come to you with full and open hearts, expecting you to be active and present here today to teach us something new about yourself through your word and through your people and the stories that we have gone through. And so now, Lord, we come and we say, would you meet with us? Would you do business with us? Would you drown out every hindrance, every distraction, every thought that seeks to strangle out and keep from us the words that you would have for us. Hold nothing back today, God. I want all of you. I don't know about them, but I want all of you today. And so would you just come, Holy Spirit, come. We probably sing the name of Jesus. All right, here we go. Uh, We are in Romans, Romans 5. Man, I think this is like week 5 or 6 of 30-something weeks, so we're in it. Um, barely. we got a long way to go. And uh, just for, in terms of recap, if you haven't been here, the first four chapters of Romans, Paul, uh, an apostle of Christ, not a disciple or direct follower, but someone who uh, was a, a leader of the early church, is writing to the, the house church of Rome, and he is telling both the Jews and the Gentiles that are, that are there, he's making a case, he is building an argument, right? And so essentially, the first four chapters essentially talk about our inherent and complete depravity of man, our violation of God's holy ordinance, the prerequisite judgment, and the necessary substitutionary atonement of Jesus' salvific work. In theological parlance, we're messed up and have been messed up, but now hope has come. You will still fall short, yet God has made a way for those who walk by faith. 
the first four, Paul is saying we're messed up and have been messed up, but now, but now, hope has come. You still will fall short, yet God has made a way for those who walk by faith. Amen? All right, yeah, let's go there. Let's, let's get it rolling. Um, so last week, chapter 4, we're opening up, Paul is, Paul is now giving us this respite from all of this talk of how terrible we all are and how we so fall short of not only our own standards but God's holy standards. And he says that the activation, the ability to move into something else, the ability to have new life is found in this thing called faith. And he impacts faith by showing for the Jews this picture of Abraham, this man of faith. And so when we come into chapter 5, we're still kind of unpacking faith. We're still kind of unpacking this mysterious thing that undergirds all of why we're here and what we're looking for in Jesus. And so Paul opens it this way in verse 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So what Paul is telling us is that, hey, this faith has given you access. It's given you VIP status. This is better than the Soho Club. You are into something beautiful and all the things that come with it, right? And this is not something new. We've all heard these stories. Typically, often when we talk about faith, when we're told to have faith, it's typically in light of this view of beautiful things coming for you. Um, I'll just be honest. Uh, I am a connoisseur of uh, all things bougie from time to time. Uh, the sad thing is I have champagne taste and a beer budget, so um, it doesn't often work out. But I do like nice things, and I love especially like exclusive things. Uh, and uh, a few months ago, uh, there was this restaurant I heard about in New York City. I will just say this is super bougie. You can judge me. It's fine. I judge myself. Uh, there was this... Japanese uh, restaurant, it's called Bohemian, and the thing about this restaurant is there's no public number, and there's no way to actually get a reservation at Bohemian. You have to know someone who has dined there, and they have to refer you, and so they give you the number, and then you call, and that's the only way that you can get a reservation at this very small place that's like hidden, there's no sign, you got to know where it's at, whatever. So I heard that, and I was like, oh, I got to get in. We got to work this out. I don't know what, what we got to do. And so, but the problem is, I don't, I don't know anyone. I mean, like, I'm a pastor. I love you guys. So all my friends, they're like, I had never been there. I can get you the number to McDonald's. Um, so I was out of luck. And so I thought about this. Undeterred, what was I going to do? Um, another thing about me is that I have a strong points game. Uh, if you, any of you guys follow the, uh, the points guy, you know how to work the credit card point system. You can't get in trouble. But if you want some work it out, I can get you set up. But uh, I am all about the points. And so we have this card, and, uh, and this card has this, like, concierge thing. And one of the perks of this card is that if you have this card, you can call this concierge, and they can just work stuff out. So I'm like, you know what? Let me give this a try. So I call them, and I explain. I'm like, hey. Uh, Amber, I want to go to this restaurant 
that I don't have the number for and don't know how to make a reservation. But, girl, I believe in you. This is why you're here. So go. Do what you do. Do that voodoo that you do so well and give me this reservation. And so she says, okay, I'll try. No promises. We'll call you back. 24 hours later, I get an email. It says, you have a reservation at Bohemian. I'm like, what? This is awesome. And so we go, and we, uh, Catherine and I and some dear friends, we went, and uh, I would say it was worth it. It was incredible, and now I've been, so you all got a reference, uh, so you can come. But it was funny, when before I, uh, we went, they sent another email confirming our reservation, and they said, hey, here's the thing, though. Do not, under any circumstances, tell them that a, you got this reservation through a concierge, or they will deny you entry. And so we're just like all James Bond, just like walking up in here, like we own the place, and just like, oh, yes, uh, hello. Uh, I have these reservations for my friend Barack. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, (laughs) uh, Right. But here's the great thing about faith and what Paul is saying is that through Jesus, we have access. Jesus has given us, he's become this concierge into all these beautiful blessings that we now did not deserve and did not merit access into. But through him, he has provided us way. And the great thing about it is we don't have to be secretive about it. It is not a secret. It is an open secret. It is for everyone that Christ will give you access into these blessings. And it's true. It's kind of like our own version of perks and recreation. When you think about faith, honestly, that sometimes, if we're honest, how we treat this whole God thing, this faith in Jesus, this belief that this, this faith, the whole point of it is for perks and recreation, everything that gives me what I want and makes me happy. And we hear great stories about that. Stories like getting to a restaurant, there's another, you know, trivial things like my wife's not here, but if she was, she could testify that when we, uh, we have a car, we just bought a car in December, and uh, we live on a pretty quiet street, but every now and then parking can get a, a little bad, not, not too bad. But I have a habit, especially on nights when we're coming home late and this stuff, and I'm just like turning that corner, and I'm not being funny. I just straight up pray for a parking spot. Lord's like, cast all your cares. I'm like, Lord, right now? This is the care of my heart, all right? Can you get, and I don't, and I don't just like give me a parking spot. I'm like, God, can I get a parking spot in front of our house? Audacious, bold request. Uh, and my wife kind of cuts her eye at me because she's like, I think God's got better things to do. And I was like, no, he can attend to all my needs, okay? And I will tell you, let me testify to you, it works. I swear, I swear. And so many times she would just look, and so I like, turn down the corner, and I'll say my little prayer, and she's like, oh, gosh, here we go. And then sure enough, boom, right there, or boom, across the street. And I just kind of pull into it as I look at her and just like, won't he do it? <laughs> That's my God. I have to brag on him. There's trivial things like that. And then there's big things like my best friends. They tried for a child for years. And after like four, five miscarriages, and I mean, we're just sitting in prayer and we're weeping, and I'm just, and some of you know that pain of, of, of loss and, and just confusion and anger and all of the emotions, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and then when they, like, gave up, you know, and they were like, all right, we're going to put this on hold for a while, of course, like, boom, they get pregnant, and now I have a wonderful godson named Oscar, 
And I love him. And it's this great story of faith, right? And so when we think about faith, oftentimes what we can think about is that God is just giving us rich blessings and bounty in all this life, full and devoid of pain. Can we be honest for a second? Just for a millisecond. Put down my guard and tell the people how I feel a second. Anybody Hamilton fans out there? I'm done. Um, If you spend any time in this church or in this faith, you know that following Jesus does not give you a get-out-of-pain-free card. Right? So the thing about faith is faith gives us access. But access into what? For sure, there is a part and aspect of faith that gives us access into rich bounties and beautiful blessings, things we could not deserve or merit. But faith is so much more than that. And so I just want to say for those of you who have probably been in church for a long time, you've probably been sold this bill of goods. I know that I was, that when I have faith, everything's all gravy. Everything's good, and I found that to not be the full truth. Because as we deeply know here, just because you have faith doesn't ensure that two beautiful children can make it across the sidewalk safely. It doesn't ensure that you won't lose your job or that your marriage won't reach the breaking point. It won't ensure that you can't afford this city any longer. So I need more than just this fake promise of good times. And I think Paul is acutely aware of that because he goes on to say this in verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Trials produce endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Paul here is giving us nuance to the view of faith. Faith is not just access. And to blessing. Faith is access through trials and suffering. I've said this before, you've probably heard this, but um, I don't swim. I can drown with the best of them. Um, and can I just preface this? I'm about to talk about how I don't swim. This is not an invitation uh, to hear about your cousin or your best friend or like you who's really good at teaching people how to swim. That ship has sailed, okay? We've made it 32 years. It's fine. If I get another 32 not knowing, I'm good. Okay. So I can't swim. My wife's always like, well, just try it. I'm like, no, it's done. Uh, But if you treat me to lunch, I'll tell you about the time and how I survived being uh, underneath a capsized sailboat in 80-foot water holding on to nothing but the boom. Uh, That is a true story. I'll tell you about it. Uh, But I can't swim. And uh, really, uh, I don't really mess around with large bodies of water um, in any form, snow, ice, or just plain wet. Uh, just kind of, you know, just pick my spots. Uh, 
And so there's a story in the Bible that always is kind of like, not rub me the wrong way, but I do cut a little side eye at it. Uh, Matthew 8, uh, it's just this Jesus has just called all these disciples. And actually, if you, if you read it, Jesus is kind of a little ruthless of a follower because Jesus is like, hey, come follow me. And particularly right before uh, verse 22, we're about to jump in, there's a scene where the guy, uh, this follower of Jesus goes, okay, but my father just passed, um, and I, I just need to go bury him, and I'm here. And Jesus' response is like, man, let the dead bury the dead. Let's go. Which I'm like, okay. <laughs> Jesus is a little ruthless. Um, but right directly after this part, Jesus gets all these disciples onto a boat, and they're onto waters. And you probably, some of you know this story. There's this huge storm raises up. And the boat's rattling, the, the, the mast, the sails are shaking. It's really precarious of a situation. And these people start, uh, these disciples, rightfully so, kind of start to panic. I know that I would have panicked. I also know I probably wouldn't have been on there in the first place. Uh, but these people are out on this boat following this guy who says that he's the Messiah, the Messiah, the one who was promised. And now here in this storm, he's asleep in the bottom of the boat. I don't know what thoughts were going through their mind. Um, I can only imagine. But they go and they say, hey, we got to wake this guy up. And so they wake Jesus up and they say, Jesus, Jesus, hey, hey, uh, there's a storm. We need your help. What should we do? Verse 26 says this, Jesus responded, why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. And I've always taken a little umbrage to that, because I'm like, Jesus, for real? Like, it's a storm. Of course they're scared. Like, you got to put the little jab in there? You have little faith? But when you read that passage within its wider context, what Jesus is saying is this, weigh the cost. This isn't Club Med. This isn't good old boys club. This is going to require everything of you, and it's going to be scary. If you ever read the, the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, right? Aslan, this picture of God. And Mr. Tumnus asks, is he safe? Or the kids ask, Luther, is he safe? No. Heavens no. He's not safe, but he's good. But he's good. So this faith then, what do we make of it? It's not just a free pass, right? But it's an entrance into something more. And Paul is setting this up because if you go back to verse 1, Paul says this. Listen how he opens it up. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. When we hear that phrase, peace with God, especially in the terms of what's come before, this enmity with God, it's easy just to think of just mainly our relationship with God, this peace with God that faith offers us, as being a, a, a truce, a, a, a call like a, a ceasefire, right? Uh, I'm at war with God, and then now we have peace. But the word there is erene. That's the Greek, erene. You might know it better from its Hebrew transliteration, which is shalom. Through this faith, we have 
shalom with God. And shalom is something altogether different from just a ceasefire. Uh, there's this awesome quote by this uh, rabbi, uh, David Zaslow. He says this, contrary to popular opinion, the Hebrew word shalom does not mean peace, at least not in the English sense of the word. It comes from a Hebrew root word that means wholeness. And what is wholeness? In the Hebraic way of thinking, wholeness is the joining together of opposites. That's why we say shalom when we greet friends and when we are, and when we are wishing them farewell. In the most opposite of situations, coming and going, we use the same word, shalom. There is a hidden connection to all of our comings and goings. They are wondrously linked together. When I come from somewhere, I am going to someplace else. When I realize this, I feel wholeness, and that is the source of peace. The knowledge that all my opposing energies are somehow linked and part of a single whole. True peace must have wholeness at its foundation. Through our faith, we are given access to wholeness, a steadfastness, an undergirding, an underpinning that allows us to climb mountains and descend into valleys. What does that look like? Uh, I'm so, um, I'm so happy for what's about to happen. I hope I just want you to just get in the frame and open your hearts. Uh, I have a dear friend. She's a sister from another mister, uh, Leah Samaha. She has been a longtime uh, member of our body. And uh, she's in the life group that Catherine and I run. And I've asked her here, uh, asked her this morning to just share with us a little bit of her story. Because I think it is so instructive to what we're talking about now, what Paul is talking about, about this underside of faith and the, and the full picture of the access of what it gives us. And so I'm going to have Leah come up, uh, and she's going to just uh, take a few minutes to give us a bit of her story, and then I'm going to come back. So uh, please, man, let's just give her your undivided attention. Thank you. Yeah, give her that welcome. thinking about this passage, um, I never really liked this verse, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you can definitely hear me. <laughs> um, so I, I want to give you a little backstory. Um, two years ago, um, August 18th, two years ago, I had my first migraine. And migraines are something that many people have had, but for me, it was the first one I'd ever had. I had never had a headache growing up. I had never had any major health issues. And I was walking to work one day, saw zigzag lights through my eyes and thought, this is really weird, um, and talked to a coworker at work, and she was like, you're having a migraine. Take some Motrin, put your head down, it will pass. So I did what she said, and I um, took the Motrin, put my head down, went away in a couple hours. I didn't think anything about it. And then 
actually that was August 11th, August 18th, a week later, I got my second migraine. And this started after the first week of school. I'm a school teacher, an elementary school teacher, and had one of the hardest first days I've ever had. Usually, if you're a school teacher, you know, kids are on their best behavior for about a week because they're still really tired, and my kids were turned up. (laughs) Um, And I remember meeting Catherine and Donna and my life group for dinner and afterwards and going home and having the same zigzag lights um, and then excruciating pain. And since that day, I have had a migraine or headache every day ever since. So let me give you a little backup about what my life was like before things changed a lot. I grew up in Florida. I was very focused on achievement. I wanted to be a straight-A student. I wanted to be the best at my sport. I went to Princeton and graduated um, having done amazing academic work. And then when I started being a school teacher, I wanted to be the absolute best school teacher. I wanted to get the best results. I wanted to be the best teacher in the building. And I had that sense of my identity of achievement being the, really the only thing that sort of defined who I was. And, and it worked out well for a, a really long time. I, you know, went six years of this, of achieving and doing well in my classroom and getting recognized for it. I switched schools after five years, and my first year at a new school, I had the best results on the state exam of everyone in our school, best results in our network. Um, And then starting my second year, I was ready to go at this school. I had this history of achieving and doing really well as the grade team lead, so I was going to be able to help support other teachers. I was going to be an adjunct instructor at a graduate school, and I was doing all the things that I thought in my career path I needed to do to achieve, now, now I'm not sure what, but I guess it was to achieve some sense of wholeness and identity. And then the migraines came, August 18th. And for, uh, I guess, about a week, I, you know, grinned and bared them. I'd read online. They only last 72 hours, so, you know, they would go away. Um, Saw my first neurologist, and he gave me some medicines that they would go away. And then they didn't. And I was in excruciating pain. I was incredibly sensitive to lights and noise. And being in New York City, that's just not the best place for both of those things. Um, stress was inducing a lot of pain. So I had kids with oppositional defiance disorder in my classroom, emotional disturbance. So I had a lot of stressful things I was dealing with on top of all of these um, other jobs I had sort of committed to. And, and yet I was in excruciating and agon- agonizing pain. Um, and I didn't know what to do. And I started to research because I'm a type A planner, so that means that there must be a, if there's a problem, there's a solution, I'll find the solution. And started to research that there were headache specialists. So I was like, all right, great, I'm going to find a headache specialist. They're going to fix the problem for me. Um, If any of you guys have tried to go to a headache specialist, you might know that they have month-long waiting lists (laughs) because there's not that many of them. So I again, wasn't sure what to do. Here I am in excruciating pain. It sort of peaked over Labor Day where I was in urgent care multiple times trying to get in to see a headache specialist, hoping that they would get me in. And I, the best uh, appointment I could get, I believe, was something like November 27th, and this was Labor Day weekend. Um, and this is when one of the first moments God showed up. Um, 
I had my dad call uh, Dr. Mark Green up at Mount Sinai and ask if he happened by any chance to have an opening. And he had one that afternoon uh, for one hour. And um, not only did he have an opening, but he is one of the top headache specialists in all of New York City. So big win. Get up there. Get to go see him. Um, and you know, incredible doctor who gave me a lot of information about my headaches and really took them seriously. But it, um, he told me that even the best medications work 50% of the time for 50% of the people and that it would be a, a, a journey. And so we started on a couple months of trying different treatments and none of them working. I went down to half-day work schedules so I couldn't um, be at work full-time because I couldn't meet the physical demands and started to have to ask for help, which is something that I hated doing because to me it meant that I wasn't capable or able to do the things um, that I knew I was going to be able to do. And despite even going on half-day schedules, I still couldn't complete the day. I was miserable. I was laying in bed, walking around New York City with those noise-canceling headphones, not even playing anything just to kind of tune out the sound. Um, my now husband, Riley, was there through a lot of really intense pain, and I decided that I was going to go home. I, I didn't know what the plan was, but I knew that I just needed to get out of New York City. It was too stimulating, too many things were happening, and I wasn't getting the care that I needed. Um, and so I flew home to parents, and I remember I landed, and I just looked at my mom and dad, and I said, so what are, we go- what are we going to do? And they spoke to my my primary care doctor that I grew up with, and she said, well, there's this headache clinic at Tampa General Hospital. I live in Tampa, and it's a just a headache clinic all on its own. And you can go and go see a doctor there. So, and I go and I go to see a neurologist there, and she tells me about this pain program. And I soon learned that it is the only headache and pain program in all of the Southeast. And it just happens to be a 10 minute drive from my house, which, when you think about God's plans and how God is laying plans for your life, that is just incredible um, to think about. And they get waiting lists, months-long waiting lists to get into this program, and they let me in right away. And in this program, there are no promises that my headaches are going to go away, but they start me on an outpatient two-week program where I am getting, and in hospital, getting IV treatments. I'm working with physical therapists, um, psychologists, biofeedback therapists, and all of a sudden I started to have these tools, tools that could help manage my pain and at least help educate me a little bit about what was happening in my body. Um, I'd still not had a headache-free day yet. I hadn't had a migraine-free day yet. Um, But I was really hopeful that this program, I'd do this, then I'd be back at work, January, everything would be back to normal. And one of the doctors there wanted to do some scans. So we started to do some scans to see maybe if there was something else going on in my body. And one of the doctors found a lesion. And one of the descriptions when you get your medical reports is it's a demyelinating lesion. And they start talking to me about a possible diagnosis of MS, which, of course, rocked my world. I had visions of what MS could look like, and I said, hey, I'm just in here for a migraine or a headache. I'm not in here for an autoimmune disorder or a lifetime disability. 
Um, and they said, well, you know, we see this lesion, but there's many other things to test for. We need to do a lumbar puncture. And so the medical journey continues. And over New Year's, I go into the hospital for my lumbar puncture, where they are going to somehow see, amongst all the different serums that they take out, whether I have these different markers that might indicate MS. And for many people, lumbar punctures are somewhat routine procedure, but this is my first time into a hospital where I'm going into an operating room and having doctors there, and I'm, I'm by myself, and I know I'm waiting for something that might tell me a diagnosis that would change the course of my life. And while the doctors are sort of chatting beside me because this is a regular day in the office for them, I can't help but start to silently cry. Um, and one of the nurses notices it and comes over and lays her hands on me and, and prays over me, which I don't even know if that's like working in a, a school, like that's definitely something you would never do, but in a, and I never would expect someone to come and do that, not even knowing my faith or if I believed in God and that amount of care and concern for, for me. And so God sort of showed up again in, in these little ways. We got the, the lab test back. I came back to New York. I spoke with my doctor, spoke with an MS doctor, and essentially they say it, it's, it's not MS, but it could be a carrier of MS. It's one of those things you, you don't know until you will get a symptom. Um, and so we would like to do yearly... MRI scans to see what happens, but just so you know, this doesn't actually have anything to do with your headaches. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> They're like, MS is not a, not a characteristic or a symptom of headaches. So, which of course throws me, I'm like, that's, I've got one problem. I can't have two, two big medical issues that I'm dealing with. Um, and so the very, very kind MS doctor says, you know, this is a hard diagnosis to give because it essentially means it, we just don't know. Um, but you still have to treat your headaches and figure out what works for you. So at the same time that all of those tests are going on, I'm supposed to be transitioning back to work. I have maxed out my medical leave and I am coming back, but I know that I'm not able to come back in my role as a homeroom teacher for third grade. And so... I call up my principal, who um, was a new principal. We got a new principal while I was away. And so trying to sort of explain, hi, you know nothing about me. I really need you to advocate for me for this new role because I cannot come back as a homeroom teacher, but I need a job, and I think I have skills that can um, contribute to the school, but I have a laundry list of things that I, I need accommodations for. And I proposed a role as a as an intervention teacher, and yet we had already had two hired. We were fully hired in this role, but sort of proposed that to her and that I would need to not have lunch and recess duty because it was too loud. I was going to need to have a modified work schedule. And I had met her one day, and she said yes. And yet God showed up again, and he gave me a school and people that believed in me and gave me a role that I could, I could do. And so that first six months back at work were really hard. I was trying new treatments, experimental treatments, where I was on antibiotics for long courses of time. I was getting Botox treatments for migraines, but they say it takes nine months to find out if they work for you. Um, we were trying other new preventative medications that come with hosts of side effects, so twitching, 
um, weird tastes in my tongue, weight gain, um, really, really vivid dreams, and just cycling through trying to find out what might work. Um, amidst all this, I continue to think of it as a problem that needed a solution. So I saw every alternative medicine doctor that you could think of. I went up to the Berkshires to see some sort of like famous doctor that did every test under the sun to find any other weird things that might be there. I've been to acupuncture, to chiropractory, massage therapy, and it just became my job. <laughs> my job wasn't just at work. My job was to manage all of my medical needs and somehow manage my pain and somehow find a solution because there was a solution out there somewhere. It's just that we haven't found it yet. And finally, my doctor gave me a diagnosis. Um, he diagnosed me with a rare headache disorder they call new daily persistent headache, which means it's new. It comes out of the blue. It's daily. It doesn't, you have it every day and it persists and is resistant to treatment, which is great, right? You're like, <laughs> love this diagnosis because it also doesn't really have a prognosis. Um, some people resolve in a couple months. Some people will resolve in a year. Uh, typically, they say after two years that they don't have a lot of studies or any research um, really showing a, a strong prognosis once you hit the two-year mark. And so having that diagnosis, of course, was incredibly depressing because there is nothing out there that gives you a lot of hope. Uh, I had to very quickly have people tell me that I'm not allowed to research anything online because only reading things brings a lot of depression and sadness. Um, and yet I was still trying to figure out how do I manage my pain so I can function? How do I manage it so I can go to work so that I can do the things that I love? And I was starting to try to figure out what my life looks like. I think my mantra for the first uh, six months was, I want my old life back. We're taking these steps so I can get my old life back. And then it started to switch to starting to see, well, what would my life look like if this is just what it is now? And that was a really hard question to ask because... It felt like my life was miserable. <laughs> um, I had an amazing partner who loved me and an amazing family who loved me and a job that supported me and a church family, but I was in so much pain that I couldn't believe that that's all God had for me. And you read lots of stories in the Bible that God would come and touch people and heal them. And it felt incredibly unfair that I couldn't be healed and that there was nothing that doctors could do or say that could make it go away. And yet through all of this journey, I've started to see new parts of my identity form through God, putting things in my life. So at the time that which my body was basically mutinying against me and I hated it, I started to do yoga and I started to have a new relationship with my body and what it was capable of doing and able to see it as something as a source of strength um, rather than as um, an enemy and something I wanted to escape. Um, because I tried lots of weird elimination diets, I started to really love cooking and started to cook all the time and find a lot of meditation in the act of creating a meal and then serving it for others. Um, I started to build community in a way that I hadn't before because my life was so driven around my work that I 
lacked really strong sense of community and friendship. And I have an amazing life group who has been along this journey with me. And so I have friends and family that I call home here. Um, I met my, my partner knew me before this and then has stood by me and supported and encouraged me as I have transformed and changed through all of this. Um, we got engaged, which was really exciting. <laughs> um, and starting my second, year, my second year back at work, I started to find a, a rhythm. I was like, okay, I'm finding things that I, I like. Um, no, I'm not a homeroom teacher. I'm not like getting 100% of my kids to master all of the data. I'm actually working with uh, the most struggling students, which I thought was a really interesting turn from God to kind of show me that achievement doesn't necessarily mean success or hitting benchmarks, that achievement comes from relationship and building confidence and character in kids. Um, And I started to have more of a sort of regular dose of what my medicines look like and more stability and what my life kind of looked like on a day-to-day basis. And with that, being able to function and do more things, I decided I wanted to get my training as a yoga teacher. I wanted to get certified as a children's yoga teacher. I became really interested in special education and wanting to pursue that. And uh, the first couple months in 2018 was the best I had felt. I was still having headaches every day, but I was functioning at such a high level. And I met with my doctors and I told them, like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. Like, what else could we do? Like, like, are there other things that we might try to like try something else? Um, see if it makes me feel better. And so last April, we tried some switches in my medications that, um, didn't go over well. <laughs> uh, they led to a week of hypomania where I was doing really erratic behaviors, really rearranging our kitchen furniture, looking for jobs at Google and other strange things. I started having an excruciating migraine that I hadn't experienced since last, the first migraines that had started and uh, couldn't function. And not only could I not function, but I had constant panic and anxiety about the pain, knowing at the levels that it could get. And so, yet again, I was back on medical leave, and I was back in Florida with my family and back enrolled in the chronic pain program at my hospital. And it felt like such a huge defeat because I had been making it so far and it felt like, yes, it was a journey, but the journey was getting easier. I was getting better. I had more functioning and then it felt like everything blew up in my face. I was supposed to be married in two months and I couldn't walk outside of my house. I was in so much pain, but also in so much panic, which I hadn't experienced before. And the doctors kept telling me, we're giving you every medication that we can. You're, you're hooked up to IVs, but like we can't do anything else. It is your anxiety and your panic that is exacerbating everything. And in those two weeks when I was home, um, God showed up. Uh, I got paired with a new psychologist who had a new type of therapy that was really helpful in terms of trying to figure out what panic 
felt like in my body and how to experience it. I had life group members who were calling me who made care packages for me. I had friends from work who were checking in on me daily. My principal in the midst of state testing had her whole staff send me gift baskets. Um, And I had a husband who would call me daily and check in on me and see how I was doing. And a mom who took over wedding planning for me. Um, But the panic and anxiety wouldn't calm down. Even as my headaches got better throughout my time there, I was so afraid to leave the hospital one night that because I wouldn't have access to the medication. I was crippled with panic and panic attacks that I couldn't bathe myself. I could barely take a walk around the block without my mind being flooded with all of the thoughts and fear of how I'm going to be able to function. Will it ever get any better? If I feel like this, I cannot survive because this is so miserable. Tingling and pins and needles down my body. Um, And it slowly started to abate um, little by little. And I came back to, to New York and started back at work. And it's been about four months since then, but it's been a really hard journey. I get panic attacks probably every couple days. Um, while my migraines are better, my sense of constant fear that they're going to come back uh, is something that keeps me kind of living on the edge of my seat. Uh, doctors have sort of diagnosed me now with panic disorder and symptoms of PTSD and um, and again, you know, Wednesday night, I am just so frustrated with God because I am saying, God, you know, you've been there. Why do you have to add this on, on top of all of those other things? And so when Patrick asked me to speak, you know, I, I guess I, I wanted to speak to, to share a story that doesn't have a red bow at the end, right? That, that doesn't tie up nicely and it doesn't have uh, a solution. But God has been through it so much and he has shown up in so many ways through the friends through the amazing partner I have um and it started and it's me starting learning how to tune into how he is he is showing up for me um so I have two last things that I wanted to share um one one author who's really been a source of God's wisdom to me is Henry Nouwen. And there's uh, this quote, which really stuck out to me that I've been reading through. So trust is not always to demand specifics of what will transpire. God wants us to know life, but what that actually means is open-ended. And that is a constant struggle for me because I have a vision of what I want for my life and what I don't think... I want in it anymore, but being able to be present to the open-ended nature of God being there amidst the struggle and the pain. And my two-year mark is coming up on August 18th, the two years that sort of say that um, my diagnosis uh, with new daily persistent headache will maybe be something that I, I deal with for the rest of my life. And it was a day that last year that caused me a lot of uh, sadness. And I, we have a daily calendar, a monthly calendar, so I'm writing our events on our calendar. And I come to that date, and I look at it, 
and I realized we're picking up our new puppy on the two-year anniversary mark. And to me, that just could not have been a more perfect sort of marker from God to say that there are new beginnings over and over again. And these days that cause you trauma and hurt, are there are new days ahead for you. And so I know many of you might be experiencing chronic pain. Many of you might have be dealing with panic, with PTSD, with anxiety, and that those aren't things that should be hidden. They're things that we should talk about in our community. And I know that Patrick and the church is planning on ways to talk about that and that in any way that I can be a support to other people, even just to say, I see you and I know that too, um, I, that would be one of the greatest blessings of my life. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, yeah, I wanted that story because this is what face looks like. There's no get out of pain free card, and it doesn't all wrap up. We're all going to stand right now, um, and the band's going to come up. And this is our invitation. This is the close. This is the picture that I want you to get uh, in this Romans, in this passage. This passage of, of working through pain is in the treatise of salvation. And what Paul is trying to get us to see is that we all have these other gods that we've been trying to follow. For Leah, before all this happened, it was achievement and success. For you, it may be money. For you, it may be status, relationship goals, whatever it is. And every one of those gods, what they tell you is, if you just give me a little bit more of yourself, I'll give you that wholeness that you seek. And it is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because the more and more you give, the more and more it's a sharecropping mentality. You never get out of the debt. But we serve a God that does not say, give me more of you. But he says, please take more of me. Please take more of me. And so today, we're going to move towards the invitation. Here's the invitation. If you realize that you've been serving a God that just ain't cutting it, you thought they were going to get you out of pain, and maybe you've been frustrated with the Lord because you thought that you were going to get out of pain. John 16, Jesus says it himself, John 16, 33. In this life, you will face troubles. That's a guarantee. Doesn't matter if you're an atheist, agnostic, or believer. In this life, you will face troubles. But you can take heart because I've overcome the world. So while we're in the midst of pain, and in troubles which may last for the rest of our life, he is there. Our faith gives us access, not in just into a God that provides us blessings, that holds us in the moments when the pain doesn't cease. And so maybe you need that today for the first time, and I want to invite you forward. The prayer team is going to come down, and they're going to be here to receive you. And they'll talk with you through that. Or maybe you've just been so cynical and jaded and angry with the Lord for a long time because your pains haven't ceased. And I just want you to calm and confess it and let it go and accept that reframing of your mind that God didn't promise you a life devoid of pain. He promised you a life through pain. We have peace with God and access into this salvation. That is what he offers. That's the cost. And that's the bounty. So we're going to pray for our dear friend Leah. And I'm going to extend the invitation. And not just that, we're just going to go ahead and respond, whether that's in song, whether that's in prayer, but also we're going to go to the table. 
the body broken and blood poured, Jesus took the ultimate pain because this access, like that credit card I have, you don't even want to know what the annual fee is. I was like, should I say it? And I was like, no. (laughs) There's a high cost, but it's been paid. And that is what this meal reminds us of. So we're going to come, we're going to pray, and then we're going to receive and response. You're going to come forward for communion. You're going to come forward for prayer. You're going you're to uh, pray with one another, and we're going to allow the Spirit of the Lord lead us from this place. Uh, can I get life group guys? Let's put our hand on Leah. And if you want to join us, if you want to just stick a hand out as we just pray over her. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here and you are active. I thank you, God, that we do not have to go through the trials and the tribulations of this life alone, but that you offer us faith through faith and access into something that will sustain us, a wholeness, a shalom, your peace. And right now, I God, I pray for our dear, our dear sister Leah, for your peace which surpasses all understanding, would guard her heart and her mind. Lord, we know you to be Jehovah Rapha, our healer. We know that you can do it, and so we do pray in faith. Lord, would you come and would you heal? Would you remove the pain? Would you bring fullness and newness of life? But Lord, we know we live in a world that is broken. And so we, we take our more than our desires. We want your will. And so we say, God, if your will is not for this pain to cease, if your will is for it to endure for the prevalence of your hope, then we say, God, would you align our hearts and our minds with your desire? Would you continue to equip us to walk this road together? Will you continue to gird her and make her whole that your shalom would hold her when the times the anxiety strikes, when the headaches hit, would your shalom cover her? And may her suffering continue to produce a character. Endurance, and that endurance a character, and that character a hope in your salvation. So now, Lord, for Leah and for those of us who are in pain, mental, physical, emotional, God, would you come do business with us? as we respond to your invitation to walk in faith, seeing that you are true and worthy to be followed. We pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Come forward, respond.